This episode of the Blue Hawaii Podcast is brought to you by Homebrew in Paradise. Homebrew in Paradise. Homebrew in Paradise, your one-stop shop for all your beer, wine, cider, and fermented food-making needs. Mention the Blue Hawaii Podcast and get 10% off all starter kits and recipes. That's Homebrew in Paradise, 740 Mo'ova'a Street in Kalihikai. Homebrew in Paradise. Blue Hawaii. It's admissions day. Friday off, three-day weekend. Uh, a problematic to some holiday i feel conflicted yeah so hashtag fake state hashtag show me the treaty we'll talk more about our guest alan akau about the two perspectives of this in trump's cabinet yeah who do you think would let hawaii not be a state right now uh, all of them as long all as they got them? as long as they got to keep ben carson as lo- ben carson doesn't know what day it is i i am so surprised that he was able to be a brain surgeon because he strikes me is one of a the very most, dumb a very dumb man what's the opposite of gifted stolen from maybe he's like uh yeah stolen just like the kingdom of hawaii was i see i mean it was you tied it right on back it's true i mean like that was was that the biggest like was that the first corporate coup of territory in by, american history by the united states i don't believe i mean i think like Around that same like Spanish American War time, Puerto That's Rico, true. Cuba, Philippines. Yeah, we did all those. Uh, Were those basically all sugar driven? Everything, yeah. Sugar uh, was sh- the oil of the 19th century. That's fair, but also like the oil of the 19th century was a different kind of oil. It was also like whale blubber instead of oil. So that was the other advantage of being out here, like huge whaling trade. Um, there was a lot of whaling that went on out here. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Maui, uh, Lahaina really yeah lahaina was like a big big time whaling harbor um folks all from kind of feels Coast like especially fish in a barrel whales in a bay whales, uh, i mean you literally just ride out there and you see them you start killing them right it's not it's not pleasant yeah uh, the history of american colonialism is not pleasant Somebody told or me everybody's colonialism. fish can't feel pain and i'm like that's not true yes they can definitely whales can I imagine. Do you see, like the orca who was carrying her dead calf? Like whales can definitely feel pain. Well, that was emotional pain. Well, isn't that worse? <laughs> that they're complex well, enough to feel well, emotional like pain. Like the idea is that like people when they catch fish, you know, yeah. you've seen what happens. You oh, catch yeah. a fish, you stab it. You yeah, you just stab it or you beat it to death. Yeah. And I think people just tell themselves that they can't feel pain because if they could, yeah. then oh my god, what have we been doing? <laughs> so Yeah, basically. Well, and you know, another Conflict, another conflicted admissions day thought like f- have a have it pause for a moment and have some sympathy for friggin puerto rico american samoa who don't even make this the the cut of sta- dc washington dc like at least yeah. we get at least we get the perks of statehood along with you know the perks the perks as in like voting and stuff it's true at least we have some say in what happens to us yeah. Puerto Rico and American yeah. Samoa, they just kind of at serious. the whims of whatever goes on on the continent. 21st century colonialism in action. Yeah. All right. So, um, more, well, not that Admissions Day is sad news. It's conflicting. It's not Here, sad news. Here's the thing about Admissions Day. Okay. This is, this is my thought. This is, this as is a white man. Transplant. Living in Hawaii. Hey, you're, I mean, your home state tried to leave the union. You know what it's like. To... We had to do a, a reverse Admissions Day. <laughs> Can we? Can we come back? <laughs> it, was, it wasn't much of a... We didn't ask. We were more told. Like, all right, you get back in here now. Yeah. Get back in there. Get back. Uh, hey. Hey. <laughs> Alabama. 
Get your ass back in there. You cut it. You cut it out. Stop it. I'm going to count to three. I better not get to three. <laughs> they got to three. They got to three. Let's do the drop. Okay. Yeah. We often hear holly meaning white person in a negative connotation, but is a perfectly good word. It means foreign introduced to a foreign origin or foreign introduction. So in Hawaiian, anyone or anything that is not native to Hawaii is haole. I'm Leilani Poliahu. Ahui ho. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Blue Hawaii Podcast. I'm Josh Michaels. And I'm Ryan Little. So, happy... Day. Day. Happy day. Happy day, everybody. Oh, happy day. Oh, happy day. R.I.P. Yeah, semi-happy day, if we're semi- being honest. R.I.P. to the realest one, the queen, the godmother of American music, Aretha Franklin, the goat. Uh... Saw a saw an interview this morning on BBC World News with Stevie Wonder talking about like the last time he talked to her and I was like I was started this morning off with a good cry so ready to go. <laughs> uh, another interesting BBC report I saw this morning: scientists, well, not scientists. Uh, this is a very it's not a very scientific study, but uh, a new theory is that people who remove carbs from their diet actually have a shorter life expectancy. How do they even quantify that? Uh, I don't know. And then immediately after uh, this dietitian came on to like say, well, well, there's some flaws with this study. I was like, no, 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 I ate spam mousse beef for breakfast. Com- as long as they're like complex, varied carbohydrates and Aren't it's part all of a carbs balance. like really complex. No. What's a simple carb? Wonder bread. Like white white simple white bread. What about Dave's killer bread? Dave's killer bread is a very complex carb. It better be. That's that Costco. I get that from Costco all the time. Yeah, I just got some from Times. Um but anyway, yes. Uh listeners, send us your best uh exclusively carbohydrate diets. <laughs> God, that sounds amazing. Yeah. Uh, oh, also happy birthday to great friend of the show, Josh Falk. Um, in honor of his birthday, we're going to fulfill his wish of Ryan speaking more Japanese. Ryan, uh, would you like to send a little birthday message along to our friend? Uh, yes, this is from the land of my people. Hi. Josh wa abunai skebides. Hi. That means happy birthday in Japanese. <sighs> Welcome back. One quick, uh, while we're waiting for our guest to Yeah, arrive, we were going to let you guys go. Yeah. One quick news item that just came across the timeline. You know, we were talking about uh, Space Force being a slush fund for Raytheon, Lockheed Martin, all the big defense contractors who contributed a lot of money to the president. Uh, MSNBC is reporting, exclusive, President Trump is increasingly venting frustration about U.S. strategy in Afghanistan. Remember last, you know, last week we were talking about this forever war. Uh, and showing renewed interest in a proposal by Blackwater founder Eric Prince to privatize the war, current and former current and former senior administrative officials tell MSNBC News. So uh, Eric Prince, uh, while the head of Blackwater, uh, a company with a sterling reputation, aside from the fact that his mercenaries committed multiple war crimes uh, and were convicted in a, a massacre of 17 civilians, I think the worst, you know, tried and convicted U.S. massacre since My Lai and the Vietnam War. Um, other than that, no, it's totally fine, whatever. Like, why not privatize uh, 
involvement in military conflict in South Asia. It worked out so well for the British East India Company. He's trying to uh, he's trying to offload some costs yeah. so that he can afford the hundred million dollar military parade yeah. that he just had to cancel due oh, to public outcry God. and general stupidness. Yeah. Don't forget, and Eric Prince is of course the brother or brother-in-law of Betsy DeVos. Brother? I think brother. Yeah. So basically, uh, so. America's, we've got the first family and the worst family. Uh, and the DeVos just, family is yeah. definitely the worst family. They're, and the first family and the worst family are just working together to fleece us and to fleece the public purse. I don't know that there's ever been... Uh, Such bad people? Just like a more Blatantly, nakedly shamelessly corrupt. corrupt. Yeah. I didn't live through the 19th century. No. And so the maybe Gilded it was. Age, the robber barons. Maybe yeah. it was. I'm sure. It's comparable. How do you go back from that though? Like what did we do? Uh, I mean, it took us like... Teddy Roosevelt, you know, uh, in between committing crimes against humanity in Puerto Rico, um, had a very aggressive antitrust, um, you know, break up the big institutions. That's true. We're going to have to do that again. Yeah. Basically, and it's unfortunately, uh, the entire, but actually both, both Roosevelt's too, like uh, on one hand, they struck huge blows against this kind of thinking and like four ordinary working folks. On the other hand, uh, Teddy Roosevelt was an unabashed uh, chauvinist, um, and Franklin Roosevelt uh, interned a whole bunch of Japanese people. So complicated, complicated, complicated man. Yeah, this is, complicated why, this man. is why you're not supposed to have heroes, I guess. Yeah, at least in American politics, they'll fail you. Yeah. Also, another thing that I saw uh, came across my newsfeed. The feed. Uh, the feed that I. It's like an addiction. It like, is. I just, the dopamine receptor. God, needs. I hate it. Yeah, like I just. I hate it. Have I, you ever? Twitter you is ever, ruining my brain. Have you ever closed out of Twitter and then? you like have like that blank space in your mind for a second and yeah. then you immediately oh, what are people tweeting now you just immediately open yeah. you like close like, out of right. twitter to open up twitter now now i'm getting to work yeah, yeah, yeah oh but like what if like i forgot to check what yeah, blah, blah, yeah. blah said about this thing it's like, awful it's terrible well here's one that came across my feed okay uh this is from the new york times a new film compares democrats to nazis and trump to lincoln uh, at this screening yes. it was a hit dinesh d'souza of the screeners mm -hmm. some quotes we have a lot of manufactured outrage these days with those who want to sow discord, said Kirsten Hill, a 54-year-old woman from neighboring Lorraine County. Paid protesters bust in who blow up a local issue that's not an issue everywhere. With their Soros checks? With their Soros checks. Still waiting on mine. Um, <sighs> the stakes could not be higher, D'Souza said, referring to his film. Read the Nazi platform at the Democratic Convention, and it would most likely receive thunderous applause. It's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. It's so dumb. They stole the 2012 election and they tried to steal the 2016 election. And now they're trying to overthrow a duly elected president, said Tom Zawistowski, a Tea Party activist from Portage County in Ohio. The ruling class in the deep state have been telling this lie and people have been believing it, Mr. Zawistowski said. We need to start getting ahead of these things and fight them before it's too late. And it's almost too late. No person who no spoke words. during... I have no words for Mr. Zadotowski. Zadotowski? Uh, Zawistowski. Zawistowski? Except that how his... You, how do you say... How do you say read a book in Polish? <laughs> so I was thinking. Uh, you know what we should do? We should ask Mr. Zawistowski's ancestors who potentially fled from a murderous Hitler regime. They weren't fleeing the Nazis. They were fleeing the communists. So... That's true. Yeah. But you know, they weren't like, fleeing like, the political machine, though. Like Dinesh. There like was Dinesh, something else they were fleeing. Like Dinesh D'Souza says, Barack Obama is basically Joseph Stalin, but also Hitler at the same time. No person who spoke during the discussion voiced any disagreements with the movie. Of course not. Their only complaint? 
the scheduling conflict with the county fair and its uber-popular rough truck night had stopped more of their neighbors from attending. That's the last part of the article. I really, like, we really are the Roman Empire in decline, aren't we? It feels very stupid. Yeah. No, it's bad, dude. Um, more on that in a minute with our guest, Alan Akau. Uh, Stay tuned to the Blue Hawaii podcast. Blue Hawaii. Blue Hawaii. The Blue Hawaii Misery Hour, coming up next. Blue Hawaii. Welcome back to the Blue Hawaii podcast. We are here in the basement. It's time. You remember him, episode three, our very first. Let's sit down and get into it, guest. The man, the myth, the legend, Alan Tufgong Akau is back. TG, baby, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Thank you for having me again. Glad to have you, my friend. Enjoying your Friday? It would have been a little bit better. The traffic was kind of nuts getting over here, but yep. um, it's good now. Yeah. So, but we, we mentioned this at the top of the show. Before we get into politics, do you have any thoughts, particularly on Admissions Day? Anything, your, your feelings, sentiments, anything you'd want to share? We kind of, obviously, we gave the ignorant Howley perspective, so. Sure. Um, admissions Day, you know, I think I'm a Native Hawaiian that, you know, I've come to terms that we, we've been admitted into the United States of America um, as, from a practical standpoint. Congratulations, and, You know, I still think that, um, you know, there is a, an independence movement, a sovereign sovereignty movement, restoration movement, whatever you want to call it. Um, we're not there yet. Hopefully, you know, we can work towards that and work towards doing that with the people of Hawaii, not just Hawaiians, because, um, you know, the kingdom was a multi-ethnic, multicultural um, country, yep. but the nationality of the Hawaiians um, has kind of been lost to the ethnic um, kind of background of Hawaiians, and that's what survives today. So whether there's going to be Hawaii nationals again, you know, there's some movements towards it, but not a big enough one. Um, but I do think the actual admission, um, how we came to become a state, um, wasn't done in a, the proper way. And sure. because, you know, they allowed um, Americans to move to Hawaii and then vote to make Hawaii yeah. a state. And so it's kind of like vote stacking. You know, you move a whole, you know, you migrate a whole bunch of people and then give them voting powers yeah. to rob the, the original people of, you know, their ability to self-govern. For our listeners on the mainland uh, who may not be familiar with the timeline, uh, 1893, overthrow and deposition of the queen. 1898, annexation to the United States. 1900, officially became a territory. And then 1959, statehood. So the 59 years between territory and statehood in which... American resources, American voters point, poured into your point. Yeah, so it's not like the original, you know, Hawaiian citizens were the ones that, you know, voted for statehood. Um, and then the other thing to, to know about statehood was there was only, do you want Hawaii to become a state? Yes or no. There wasn't, do you want Hawaii to be restored to a kingdom? So the only thing on the ballot was a yes or no question. Do you want Hawaii to become a part of the United States? So for many of the voters, you know, there was no option that that was better at the time yeah because being a territory as we've shown in puerto rico it's not all it's not great right being a territory you know doesn't have the privileges and the voting rights and the representation um within the united states so you know being a territory you know is no better than you know being um you know almost nothing to in the grand scheme of the united states and especially colonization so having that opportunity to kind of take back some um of you know that that independence or self-governing um, as to be a state was a good thing. And I think a lot of the Native clients who are looking towards independence in the long run, you know, myself included, is that there 
one route does not foreclose other routes to independence. So becoming a state allowed us to gain more power over our decision-making um, within the grander United States, within the, the global you know, economy. Um, and as we move forward, whether it's federal recognition, whether it's independence, whether it's restoration, those are all roads that you know one doesn't cut off the other one, mm -hmm. that if you take it, it forecloses that opportunity. So um, statehood, brought you know benefits but to a lot of people it was almost a um a moment of of large change that like we can't go back but you know i think moving forward we can see the end goal being the same thing is that's you know native hawaiians as well as the people of hawaii having um, independence to make um, their own government own decisions over the land um laws and and their resources so yeah, I've been thinking thoughts. about that in the car on the way over because that was a fantastic response. Very well said. Thank Thanks. That yeah, was just sure. straight up off the cuff, ladies and gentlemen. We had, there was no talk about that before we started <laughs> recording. That's just Alan's raw thoughts. Dropping, dropping mm -hmm. some mm -hmm. wisdom. Well, let's get into uh, a newsworthy. Excuse me. Let's get into a newsworthy um, issue. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you're aware, but last weekend uh, we had the primary elections. Um, I think he's aware. I am aware. <laughs> um, what are your thoughts? Let's talk about the one that was probably the most contentious, which is the Congressional District 1 race. Okay. Now, you live in Kailua, mm -hmm. so you are a CD2, Congressional District 2 voter. Oh, yep. Um, but you did have some, uh, you have some connection to CD1 mm -hmm. and the candidates. Would you mind telling the listeners a little bit about that? Sure. Um, so the candidate that Josh and Ryan are asking about is particularly um, State Representative Kaniela Ng. Um, I think when I came on episode three, um, they mentioned that I worked at the Hoy State Legislature at the Capitol and I worked for Representative Ng at that time. So I kind of didn't make any comments about it. Since then, I've left his office. Um, I was helping to run a campaign uh, for the Office of Hawaiian Affairs for a candidate, um, a friend of the show, Makano Paris. Um, the only candidate we've ever officially endorsed. And ever um, will. And probably I mean, that's a great sign. Yeah. Um, you know, unfortunately, both. Another one who did not get the Blue Hawaii bump, unfortunately. Yeah, unfortunately, you know, the votes didn't, you know, reflect um, what we thought. But I think that's the interesting thing about Hawaii politics is, um, you know, being, you know, really da data driven people when we, you know, we campaign and, and look at elections. Um, it's hard to anticipate what the voters really want. Um, and I guess we'll talk a little bit later about uh, low ver voter turnout. Um, but yeah, so I worked for Representative Kaniela Ng for about two years, and I left earlier this year to um, pursue other things, including working for McConnell Paris. Um, so he's the candidate I'm most familiar with, but you know, I knew he was interested in running um, for higher office, so I have quite a few takes on it. Um, not necessarily insider tips, but um, just things that I've seen going through his campaign and watching his campaign as a non-voter and a non um you know, staffer anymore. So it was kind of interesting to see um, what what I, what I thought was probably the most contentious race, although not the most competitive race. I would agree with that. Yeah. So um, that race in particular, you know, we saw the um, the entry of uh, former Congressman Ed Case. He came in um, fourteen days before the deadline. Fourteen days before the filing deadline, um, he was actually pretty active um, in political circles as a lobbyists or counsel for um, the Outrigger Hotels um, and 
you know, so we had seen him a lot, especially during um, the rail um, hearings because um, Outrigger and a lot of the, um, you know, tourism industry related um, industries, hotels, um, restaurants, restaurants. Like yeah. You know, a lot of the Waikiki service industry um, that relied on tourist money, you know, were really concerned that there was going to be, um, you know, increase in um the TAT or things that were going to affect, um, that's a transient accommodations tax. That's yes. the daily tax on hotels, uh, for guests who are staying there. Mm -hmm. So they, so he was there and he actually, you know, got into it with a lot of the legislators. So I think he felt that kind of, my impression was the thing that kind of brought him back to Hawaii politics is he saw the legislature as not being willing to work, um, with that industry. Mm -hmm. Um, and then when the opportunity to, um, jump into this um, congressional district one race came up he saw the other candidates as not really having the widespread support there wasn't a clear front uh, runner um, you know senator donna mercado kim you know came out as a front runner based upon her running for that Just seat like previously yep so she was the front runner originally but you know she didn't have the lasting power she didn't really come out strongly on kind of the big issue areas that people want to she hear about come strongly on anything right so she, she just was she was and and that's based upon her resume hey i'm a state senator former um, senate president former senate president i you know at the time she was the only woman in the race until yeah. um beth fukumoto joined it was like a very like typical democratic mentality which is like it's my turn right like i've earned this because mm -hmm. i've done all these years of service which as we've seen, uh, is an awful way to right. run a party yeah. mm -hmm. because it just sort of leads to like a de facto nepotism. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, we're in Hawaii and sometimes we lag behind on certain things. Sometimes the, we lead from the front, sometimes we don't. The cynical, the cynical, my cynical thought on Ed Case is the other thing in his advantage is uh, once Senator Kaka had passed away, the biggest sticking point that a lot of people had about why they disliked him and why he originally like had his career, his political career in Hawaii ended um, with Senator Kaka out of the picture, it sort of cleared him to almost guilt-free get back into the race. Also, uh, shout out to Dan Boylan, who called Ed Case as being the leader and took so much heat when he was like, he's the white guy and a lot of people are going to vote on, on race. Mm -hmm. And, oh, you know, we haven't gotten racial breakdowns from the election yet, but like... I think we have actually. I think there... Has breakdowns already come I've out? I've seen some of them, um, or I've seen people talk about it, although I haven't been able to go into it but i think there has to been some numbers on that lots of republicans out in the east east honolulu i think came out for ed case we're like you know he's not a republican but he is rich and white and that's like two of our three big ones mm -hmm. and he's been known to have to be a you know blue dog you know democrat fiscally conservative i think there's kind of this you know stigmatism that fiscal conservatism means you're a republican and yeah. you know I, I disagree because you know if you look at the complete candidate um, Ed Case really came out strongly, and he, people try to disregard, um, you know, his LGBT record because, you know, he's endorsed if, by Sierra Club too, right? Endorsed by Sierra yeah. Club, you know, he has a strong LGBT background, and I didn't know he had a strong LGBT um, supporting LGBT background until I started seeing um, some movements on social media, and I think Silver B even ran a campaign corner or letters um, segment where um, a young um, progressive woman, you know, said, "Hey, you know, I've known him, you know." 
based on his previous run and he's for years been a strong advocate for supporting lgbt rights um so when another candidate and in this case that candidate was representative kanyala ing said you know i have the strongest lgbt background i always voted in support none of the other candidates can claim to have a stronger record as me you know this young progressive woman came out and spoke and said hey that's not true mm-hmm. um you know you met you might have been able to say that when it was just um senator mercado kim um lieutenant governor doug chin and and um council chair ernie martin in the race but as soon as ed case um joined into the race that narrative was no longer um you know a strong point um or it wasn't hit he wasn't the only candidate um so ed having you know a socially progressive background um you know they say it's a fiction that you can be socially um progressive but fiscally conservative you know you know oh you're a libertarian you can't be a democrat with that platform. basically he sounds like a libertarian right but you know when you actually look at the breakdown of white politics you know unfortunately there's there is no libertarians. There is no Green Party. There is no independent. Marcus, Marcus, our classmate and dear friend Marcus Buzi Cruz would the one, the sole libertarian in Hawaii with his uh, "Don't Tread on Me" uh, mm-hmm. sleeve cut T shirt would would be crying to hear you say that. He could disagree with me in, in the individual sense, but like as a party, yeah. there's you no know, presence. There's no presence. I mean, there's barely a Republican presence. So that's why when we looked at all the candidates lumped together in a, in a Democratic primary, it's, you know, on the scale of conservative to progressive, where do these candidates fall? And what are the voters looking for? Well, and and there's even a, a we can get to Kaniella and, and all of that in a moment. But like, there's even a, a broader question that's been posed, which is like, what does progressive mean because Ige and Hanabusa cast themselves as progressives right and Mm. which if they're neither of them aggressive right I mean neither of them are progressive by the Kaniela Ng definition of progressive right and I think you know progressive politics you know it's funny that I don't think a lot of people had even heard that word relating to politics very often before you know the 2016 presidential election where senator bernie sanders became like you know the progressive candidate you know what that means i'm not too sure um i think it stems from being more than liberal liberal wasn't good enough you know before it's you know you have conservative street too willing to make you know to give up mm -hmm. your values to try to get bipartisan agreement right and there's this like almost negative word that a lot of progressives like to use now and i'm sure you guys have heard it before it's the neoliberals right and sure you know you have to be liberal to be neoliberal and what does that mean it's just like well you put on you know this it's like um, corporatist right yeah you know you're you're a corporate democrat who you're on the good side you're on the yeah. blue side back in the 80s and 70s 80s and 90s they called those limousine liberals in new york yeah, yeah. and actually a sweet name and now we need something more you know that's not enough so we they've because liberal has been tainted by neoliberals then we, we needed a new term for you know the the true left yeah. and, and then they adopted progressive i guess that's the word it's funny that you mention it because uh you say you didn't really hear it much so i heard it a ton growing mm, up okay um back in alabama it's a dirty word right it's a it was progressive was a dirty word mm-hmm. yeah like there was liberal but then there was progressive and like like which is almost as bad as socialist yeah mm-hmm. so like like nancy pelosi she was not called a liberal like uh who would be a liberal like like ted kennedy was a liberal okay right but nancy pelosi was a liberal progressive now what's the difference mm. a liberal progressive is more baby killing and uh well ted kennedy killed a living human woman yeah but that's fine republicans yeah. don't like when you kill the babies but they had the life they wanted to live already <laughs> so, no um 
progressive was a term that was thrown around a lot. And it's interesting that you mentioned sort of liberal wasn't good enough because mm-hmm. it was like, first it was Democrat and then Democrat was tainted. So now we're liberal and then liberal was tainted. So now right. it's progressive. And I've seen the evolution start to take place where it goes uh, from progressive, which is now sort of tainted to mm-hmm. leftist. Leftist, yeah. I've seen leftist to sort of, but, then, but which is not really in my mind a very good um, representation in name alone of like what people are actually feeling right like leftist, what side of the spectrum are you on yeah right. it's like left more left than like are you more of, left in the center than you're a leftist well it's right? like i i feel like leftist connotes like uh like like communist where it's like right. i just want the government to do everything which is not i think how a lot of people feel i think it's more like I think what's sad is like what is leftist now would have just been called Democrat like 60 years ago. Mm-hmm. It was like, I just think we should have reasonable regulations and our schools should be good. Mm-hmm. And people are like, oh, you're a leftist now. It's like, well, mm-hmm. what? I don't know. Well, I think the word that we're going to start seeing more is socialist, right? Like, you know, progressive is still kind of a neutral term, at least within the Democratic Party. Like, yeah. oh, there's yeah. a progressive group and we're okay with that. And everybody can call themselves progressive. Right. So you need another thing to it's, differentiate yourself from your opponents. Right. So that's why when you, the question you asked, uh, Ryan, was, oh, you know, David Ige and Colleen Hanabusa and, and many of the other candidates in, in the Democratic primaries this year wanted that, that label on progressive because, well, the opposite of progressive is regressive, right? And that can't be a way to define myself. Sure. So, you know, they're going to start saying you know that's not enough and well we get to a point where like socialist is the term you know there's been kind of this increase of the platform of democratic socialism you know i again that's something that kind of grew out of this kind of bernie progressive movement um because they felt and in my opinion that they weren't leftist enough so we have to keep pushing to the left and what does that mean or now we start getting into you know a platform that is very heavily socialist now they they kind of cite to you know there's a wave of you know european countries you know that have this you know we're still a representative democracy mm-hmm. but we still have vote, still have a, you know, mm-hmm. still have a uh, relatively free market exchange right however the government plays an out you know the government has a lot of consumption there's right. a large social safety net right social safety net is i think the key and um you know we already have things like Social Security and Medicare, um, but how can we expand those things to, you know, critical, you know, human rights related um, issues? So that becomes healthcare, mm-hmm. education, housing. Um, and those are kind of foundational things that you can go to any neighborhood and say, these are things that I think you and your children and your family would really right. um, like to have. And, you know, no one's going to say no to that. So they want to be associated with that without having the label they'll go as far as progressive although they're using socialist type of platform to gain popularity now do they really believe in that i'm not too sure well then if you get when you get people pushing up on that then you get situations like there was that intercept article that came out uh doug chin ernie martin and i think donna too were meeting with the healthcare lobbyists Mm -hmm. you know like at the debate um and not that it mattered because like if the democrats don't take the house you know like sing like Expanded Medicaid, single payer healthcare is not happening. Mm-hmm. But everybody said like they support that. That's what they believe. And then right. I think Doug Chin was the was the most notable who was mm-hmm. blatantly like to the lobbyists like no 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 like we'll, we're fine. No, Donna right. and Ernie Pro- did it too. I was did, I was very disappointed in both protect, of them. Protect the status quo, like the insurance industry, like. Mm-hmm. But actually, when I first um, saw that Intercept article, the thing that kind of jumped out to me was it didn't seem like it was. Ac- 
actually the questionnaire that was sent to the candidates. It was like a profile with the lobbyist like take on the the candidates. So I mean, despite that, like I do think those those three candidates you named are are you know kind of more conservative on that area. And I think the reason why is it's really not clear. There's not been I think time for them to really look at a comprehensive Medicare for all style bill. Mm -hmm. And even taking that out and you know, you don't take that into account. You get a questionnaire from a super PAC or lobby. You're gonna tell if you're the type of candidate who's just trying to get endorsements, money, yeah, you, tell and connections, you tell them what they want to hear, whether or not you vote that way, whether or not you represent those values. I mean, as voters, we want we yeah. want them to to be consistent with what they're saying to the public. And I think that's you know why there was an issue with that why the, the intercept you know article um was even noteworthy at all because there's a lot of articles that were out there that we just didn't get to read or a lot of yeah. there could have been other lobbyists not in healthcare but in other areas that hey we're pro-environment you said that but you know when these guys are from a big oil company sent you a questionnaire like hey do you support you know the use of fossil fuels i'm sure they're like oh you know it, if it's done in a reasonable and respectable way yes now when you put those those limitations on that you know that's the that's like at the hoy state legislature when someone says they're gonna vote with reservations that still counts as a vote a yes vote but it allows them to go to the public go to, to their communities and say you know i voted this way because that's where the the flow was going you know me myself was not going to be able to change um you know that decision but i wanted you to know i voted with reservations because i'm an ally and you know i there's i'll make sure that you know it's it's done in the proper ways now you know a lot of these candidates you know can see that they represent this platform but unless they have a voting record that kind of supports that and again you know ed case has not been in congress for a while so they say oh you know the voting record you had six eight years ago is how you vote now and it's like that's not necessarily true you know mm -hmm. people are allowed to evolve especially when you're beholden to a new and different constituency now a lot of that's the true. Same, he was cd2 before right so you start seeing that it's a different constituency and even the times change we've had a presidential election you know the the makeup of congress that he was in is not the same that no, it will there be are no, there are no blue dogs there's right. no there's no real cooperation on anything right so his the big plank of what he was offering may not even be applicable to Congress anymore. Right. You know, he his whole thing was, I'm going to bring bipartisanship back, or at least yeah. attempt that. You Good know, luck. we understand that, you know, that it's it's the willingness, I think, to, you know, work across the aisle. Now, I don't think that's very effective, but it, it does um, come across well with the voters of CD1. You know, and as you mentioned earlier, Ed Ed's biggest, you know, kind of uh, the biggest ding against him was, you know, he ran, he tried to primary, you know, Senator Kaka. The beloved Senator Kaka. Right. Yeah. And now that he's kind of gone and time has kind of worn that down, it's just like, hey, he just wanted that opportunity. It's easy to yep. change the narrative that, you know, hey, you know, I wanted to represent Hawaii in, in a larger capacity and, you know, that was a decision that happened in the past and we've moved on because now there's an opportunity for me to serve in. Of these candidates, I, I feel like I'm the strongest one. Now you mentioned, you know, you mentioned the, the, the trend, the direction that it, we seem to be heading is towards uh, more socialism, especially uh, the rise of Democratic Socialists of America as a as a prominent thought leader on on the left. What were your What were your thoughts and what was your impression of Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, her endorsing Kanye Ng, coming flying out here? Sure. Um, what I know it it whipped up a lot of energy among his among his hardcore base, his supporters. Mm -hmm. 
Um, how did you see it as a, as a detached observer? How did you see that all play out? As a detached observer of um, Alexandra um, Cortez Ocasio coming to Hawaii, you know, I think a lot of the pushback, I think, well, the first thing I'll say is that I don't think it hurt Kanela-ing. I think it was a positive thing yeah. to to kind of bring some energy back to his campaign. The mainland loves, like right. DSA Twitter, they love Kanela-ing. Right. And, you know, I think it got some young millennial voters, whether they're progressive or not, to um, kind of take notice. But I think the biggest thing it did, it kind of rehabilitated a lot of the bad press that he got. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot of, you know, followers of him um, that were already, you know, interested in democratic socialism or like very, very progressive healthcare for all, you know, all these different things. Um, but he took a huge hit based on, you know, some campaign spending issues, um, you know, character issues. So having her come regardless of those things, whether she knew about them or not. And my guess is that, you know, she, um, was kind of willfully ignorant. I think she, people brought it to her attention. That's just the machine trying to smear him, man. People brought it to her attention, I'm sure. But, you know, for them, it was more about platform than person, right? And, you know, if she's building a platform that she's running on and she's endorsing other candidates, then, you know, that's the thing that brings them um, together, right? The platform. And she kind of tried to bring that where have a very similar life. Like, you know, we grew up, unfortunately lost their fathers when they were young, you know, still was able to see you know a path forward for themselves and you know that didn't let you know the the corporatism of you wait in line and be a good soldier to kind of shake the trees of um traditional politics and that's what they were doing right so you know they're similar in that aspect and again i think her coming helped more to rehabilitate um the 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 following that was kind of waning on him Mm -hmm. because you know there is kind of the diehard fanatics and I think every candidate has them, but that was what um, was happening was, you know, Hey, some followers are kind of losing steam. They're seeing the polls that show him getting 4% and far, far behind some that were just, you know, worried about his character. But, you know, despite what you asked earlier, you know, does the wave of democratic socialism, you know, I say that in kind of um, a microscope, we see the inklings of that because, uh, congressional candidate ran on that platform but i think nationally they only have maybe like twenty-two thousand, you know registered you know dsa members i don't think the movement is as big as we think um and i think this is something we kind of briefly spoke about um before we got started was you know does social media does online following the what we see in that in that platform really reflect the movements that we're seeing on the ground right that's that's a great question but and when we were asked you know what our earliest impressions were of um the the cd1 primary um we uh, at least my personal take was that social media is not indicative of voter turnout because Kaniella had an incredible social media presence. I mean, he had been doing some slick commercials. Too. Com- yep. the, Hort- some of the those. best commercials, yeah of, yeah, of anybody in the country. Mm-hmm. And oh, yeah. his, I mean, he was getting shares. He was Kudos, getting credit, you know, credit national media. But it's like, but the the reality of it is, is that you know, young millennials, even though we're the ones, as to use Clayton Heath's term, uh, who keep shorts. taking it in the shorts by all these stupid laws that get passed and by all mm-hmm. these ridiculous candidates who are wholly owned by corporations <laughs> ed case um we're still not voting mm-hmm. i mean 
Josh and I were in a were in a lift the other day um, talking to our driver, and I was like, "Who'd you vote for?" And he was like, "Oh, I I don't vote. He was, don't, he's millennial. I don't believe in voting. Mm-hmm. I don't believe in voting because that's just a way for them to rig the whole thing it's and rigged, make you right? feel like yeah. like you still got to say mm-hmm. and like." Number one, that's stupid. And if you're a person that feels that way, stop listening right now and delete us off your phone. Um, but <laughs> yeah. number two, like we did, t- we did tell him to check us out. He might be listening. This might be his first. Uh... It's fair. <laughs> he needs to know that uh, if he still feels that way. <laughs> but um, no. But the, the point I'm trying to make is like, regardless of your level of engagement with the system, whether you engage with the system or not, the system engages with you. Mm-hmm. And so, like. Kaniella had this giant boots on the ground campaign that every millennial in the world was clicking like on Facebook, but like the 75 year old auntie who lives in Paola or, you know, the retired union guy who's living in freaking Kalihi, like those are the ones you really ultimately need to convince. And yeah. he just, he didn't do it. Yeah. And I think um, he's not the only candidate that kind of, you know, felt his social media following was representative of the votes he was going to get. Yeah. Right. So I think another candidate, unfortunately, that was very popular online and in social media circles was Kim Koko Yamoto in yeah. the lieutenant governor's race. Like everyone's like, oh, she's she's just a little bit behind. She's maybe in second to Josh Green. Yeah. Um, Same thing. Based, dynamics. Right. Like campaign. Mm-hmm. Like something but, different. Right. And that was based upon millennial social media era. Um, like, oh, well, I'm the I'm the candidate getting the most coverage on social media and more people are talking, tweeting, retweeting, sure. resharing, you know, my posts and my views. So it must mean that, you know, I'm the one who has the strongest following because polls aren't to be trusted. And, you know, we saw based upon, you know, the election results that that's not very true. Yeah. You know, the at, polls were dead on. Right. I mean, Honolulu mm-hmm. Star Advertiser. I know they paid somebody. I cannot remember right. what the name was. Mason Dixon. I think it was Mason Dixon polling, which yep. is hmm. But, Interesting. Uh, <laughs> but like those guys nailed it. Yep. I mean, they they were. I think the only race that I remember them getting pretty wrong was I think they said Ige Hanabusa was three points. He beat her by six. Mm-hmm. He said Josh Green. They said Josh Green was up six and he won by three. Yep. I and mean, they nailed it. Yep. So I think going into the future, I think you know any candidates out there listening um, and. I, you know, I want to speak a little bit from experience as well, because, you know, working on, you know, the Makana Paris campaign, we, we went pretty hard on social media because of the benefits of social media. And that's, you know, it's a very low cost, if yeah. any cost platform for you to get your name out there. Um, you know, there shouldn't be too much of reliance, especially the cost to benefit ratio, sure. um, I think is very low. So it's, it's a low investment for a, a low return, um, you know. Um, one of the things I, I was going to tell Ryan and Josh, um, definitely my thoughts about the way in which the candidates spent the money that they, they raised yeah, or, or loaned. Yeah, let's get into that a bit. Yeah, so, you know, there's certain trends. Again, I'm not a, uh, you know, math expert on polling or anything, but, you know, there's patterns that you can see. You know, two of the candidates that we've already talked about kind of at length is Ed Case and Kaniela Ng. And, you know, they raised similar amounts. Now, at Ed the Case end, was able to write himself a right $150,000 check. $150, um, and nice. yeah. yeah, that would cover my student loans twice. If mm-hmm. Ed Case wants to write me one of those as hey, well as my we're congressman. For sponsors, you know, uh, Repre- uh, let's be real. Let's be real. He's going to win. Representative elect Case. Yeah. Get in touch. Yeah. And <laughs> or outrigger. So, or outrigger. outrigger. Get yeah. in touch. You know, we like outrigger. Well, shill. Yep. Anytime. And so, you know, we saw that they raised similar amounts on paper. Of course, I think quite a bit of um, 
Kaneli Ng's um, funds that he didn't spend were because they were um, earmarked for the general election. But still, they they, they had amounts that could have been seen as being similar. Sure. And, you know, if you look at the way Ed spent his money, you know, you can you can check that online. You can go to SEC.gov, check, you know, search for his, you know, candidate um, committee name and it'll be there. And basically he spent you know, of that three hundred and so thousand dollars, he spent about two hundred thousand dollars at one time buying TV and radio ads. And I think that's really important in, in a congressional race because remember it's half the state mm-hmm. and a densely populated urban Oahu seat, you know, you don't have time to engage enough with social media yeah. or traditional you can't um, knock on every door can't in canvas. running the full campaign same thing even mailers i think um another candidate i forgot if it was donna or, or doug some one of them spent a large chunk on, on doing mailers and i'm sure the mailers weren't to the entire district they were probably um targeted towards the highest volume um registered voters um that's usually like east honolulu mm-hmm. hoikai um and then kapolei i think um those are the areas that have High concentrations of voters. Um, Manoa, too, I think, right? Yeah, Manoa, too, you're right. Those are the big areas. And also, trend is also where a lot of old people live because old right. people are the ones who are most consistently voting here. Mm-hmm. And so, seeing where candidates spent money, and then, you know, now we turn the other, you know, to the other way to Kanye Ng, and, you know, a lot of his um, money was spent on um staffing so mm-hmm. he he wanted a strong staff because he felt um having the the extra labor whether it was organizing phone banks canvassing um having people at events or even having a presence of the Kaniela ing for congress campaign at events even if he could not attend right because there is especially in these larger races you know the candidate can't be everywhere mm-hmm. at every event um but having someone with his shirt and representing his campaign with materials at events and you know the events really you know cover everything they cover um cultural events they cover you know Democratic Party events, and then you also have to have kind of grassroots events for volunteers and people to get excited about that candidate um, individually and not amongst other yeah. candidates. Um, and I think that's the biggest thing. I think the staffing was a little bit um, too much because the more traditional routes of mailers, radio, TV ads, um, he thought he could replace them with social media and, and production on these kind of like viral videos. Yeah. But I think that plays better towards a more national crowd. And we saw yeah. a lot of it. There was an investment that was kind of returned by, you know, mainland oh, yeah. progressives mainland that PSA. were sending Absolutely. money. Mm-hmm. So they were sending money to kind of cover those things. But the money, the churning of money wasn't bad for him. It was the money is usually a, a byproduct of a vote right yeah. so you want someone to give you money and if someone gives you money They're that's likely, gonna right, right, that's gonna be gonna a vote, vote but when a lot of the money is coming in from another source yep. outside of the state that doesn't have a vote you know it's almost like i'm spending money to get money back yeah. but i'm not getting the benefit of their vote yep. um, in the meantime yeah. one last one last cd1 question for you sure because you know because we're talking about social media mm-hmm. and perception on social media yep. i think i've actually got a cd1 question after yours oh okay well, we'll see if it we'll see if it cuts the mustard okay so we had one of our twitter friends uh reach out to us hashtag hawaii claire at cats kitty ns uh asking us to talk about how she saw Caniello's voters respond to the results she, yes okay she, she said quote 
I am concerned about the young voters who truly believed Ng could win. And she also said she was disturbed by, quote, claims of rigging and, quote, racist comments. Mm -hmm. So I think um, when Ed Case first jumped into the race, there was, as uh, Ryan mentioned, you know, Dan Boylan had and um, had brought up the fact that, you know, the Caucasian voters in Hawaii now have someone to vote for because they can identify with Ed. And, you know, Kanela struck back against that that narrative, but so did Beth Fukumoto. Mm-hmm. Um, and they actually themselves started getting into it because she felt like, although that is not a comment that she believes is true, speaking about Beth Fukumoto, um, having a certain rhetoric that it's automatically racist um, is divisive. And her and Kanela Ng kind of got into it about that. Um, but going to your um, your followers question, we have some samples too. If you right. want us to, um, I think. Let's I mean, read, can we read a quick sample? I mean, sure. I, I actually know several, um, and I think there is that. I think I mentioned earlier that a lot of candidates have kind of these fanatics where they're not unwilling to believe the results of the election. Um, and if and even if they're true, okay, fine. We there we. There wasn't enough voters, but those voters are racist, ill-informed. Yeah. You know, they want to support colonization or, or whatever narrative they want to build in this particular race. I think they even at one point I heard someone compared Ed Case to Christopher Columbus, and Ooh. and so the, there's Captain Cook. Captain Cook. I mean, there's all these things that like you know Ed was had already been elected by to Congress before. Yeah. Let's start there. Um, so yeah, I think there is um, that narrative out there. <laughs> Do I think it's true? No, I think it's, um, again, there's a subsection of, of voters, especially people that, you know, supported Kanae Ng that felt that, you know, he was the one true native Hawaiian millennial father um, and that not voting for him was racist automatically. If you vote for anyone else, you don't support Hawaiians. If you vote for a white candidate, you're racist. Yeah. You know, if you vote for donna then you know you're anti-woman if you vote for beth you're a secret conservative trying to influence um, a democratic primary and you know that's the type of bernie bros mentality now i don't think all bernie supporters are bernie bros but there's definitely this subsection that is you know so um i think disgusted with traditional politics that they have to create um this enemy to have a revolution to be led against. Alan, does thinking Kanye Ng was a bad candidate make you anti-Hawaiian? Um, according to some of the voters in CD1, um, that might be the case. Do I believe that myself? No. Um, you know, there's not necessarily... Thank goodness. There's yeah. not necessarily um, that mentality around, right? There's yeah. definitely some voters, but I think the biggest thing is name recognition. Yeah. Congressional District 1 is such a large race that name recognition is the biggest indicator. And Ed Case is the only person to have had enough votes to actually win a congressional race before. Therefore, he has the strongest name recognition. Now, that's not the only reason. Platform, I think he was progressive enough on social issues based upon LGBT and a few other things, his willingness to to kind of move to the left on, on healthcare for all yeah. or, or socialized Sierra, medicine. I think Sierra Club helped him a lot. Sierra Club, they have a quite a large following. So having those little things pulled progressive voters or liberal voters, whatever you want to call them, from Kanela Ng, from Beth Fukumoto. And I think another thing that people forget about is viability. You know, is when we see the first poll and someone's at three or four percent, voters that had said they were part of that three or four percent are are 
in my opinion, likely to reevaluate, not necessarily change their vote just off the cuff, but reevaluate whether or not they're going to let their vote go to someone that is only going to get three or four yeah. percent. Now, I think the news media um, does play a role in that by, you know, publishing these polls it lets voters know hey i'm backing the wrong horse you should change so sure. there is kind of that psychological component to it um but going back to um you know the issue at hand is like you know i think there has been low representation of native hawaiians you know in government especially at the congressional level besides yeah. akaka there hasn't been anyone else but you know you have to go all the way back to like the very early territory days. right but you have to look at the candidates in this race in this time yeah. and is was he the most you know qualified candidate the candidate that you know was the best reflection of his constituency and you know by and large i think the answer is no you know cd1 is urban honolulu i think if he ran in congressional district 2 which includes you know the neighbor islands you know they have you know, you large. You, you, read better, you, read our, you read our show notes. Right. You're teeing us up perfectly for right. where we're going next. Yep. Have a, have a, I not necessarily larger, but maybe the ratio of um, Native Hawaiian or other indigenous, you know, or what, or migrant strategy might have played a little better. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so people forget that, you know, Kaniela Ng um, was in the state legislature representing South Mai, which is um, part of Congressional District 2. So if you think about it, all the people that voted for him in the last six years, the last, you know, three elections, yep. they can't vote for him or they didn't. Just like the mainland money, right. it doesn't actually get you the vote. Right. They couldn't vote for him this year. And that's where his a large base of supporters already start from. Um, so I think, you know, we have to look at. Why do you think candidates. he ran in CD1 rather than CD2? Because they're both up for grabs this year. Right. So I, you know, I had spoken to him previously about about that. He saw the um, the vacancy of an incumbent's, you know, seat as being the reason to... Basically, he was scared run. of Tulsi. I suppose to have challenged Tulsi right. ever. Right. When you actually have to beat the person that won that race, now you're in an open primary. Yeah. Um, you know, and at the time, he was the first candidate to enter the race. He knew that he wasn't going to be the only one. And it would but, have been really hard because Tulsi has the Bernie backing, right? Mm -hmm. She endorsed Bernie. So then it's like you're sort of cannibalizing your mm -hmm. own platform. Right. Uh, even though, by all accounts, Tulsi is not a Bernie Sanders style progressive. Right. Um, it or, still would have looked bad, or necessarily progressive at all. When you yeah. look at the fact that, other than her so, uh, endorsing Bernie Sanders in the and resigning her DNC um, chairmanship, you know, I don't think she really speaks out very strongly on progressive issues. No, she did accuse her opponent, Sherry Campania, of wanting to start a war and have regime change in India, Syria, and Egypt. So that's. Right. Uh, so either you're anti-war or you're yeah. pro-war. But so when you tell someone who is anti-war, like, yeah. oh, you know, I, I don't think you have the right um your support in the in the right place. Oh, so you're saying we should go to war in these places yeah. is is the response. Yeah. So So I mean you you you're you're CD two, you were on that district. How did you see that playing out? I mean, Sherry was obviously the underdog big right. time. Um, I think, I mean, I'll give Sherry a lot of credit that she ran a really professional campaign. She ran a campaign that was the most competitive Tulsi's seen since Tulsi ran for the seat initially. And she did right? it on like 25000 bucks. Right. But I think the problem with Sherry, again, just like Congressional District 1 is, you need name recognition. Yeah. And Sherry, you know, lacked name recognition, was up against a strong incumbent with very strong name recognition. Um, she had no or little, um, you know, kind of government experience, legislative experience in particular. She was on some boards and commissions, um, but some people, they just want someone that knows what they're doing to go to Congress and represent us. I think the the educated voters, people that are, um, you know, in 
election mode they listen to and read all of election coverage you know they want someone and they understand the role of someone in congress we have four people in our congressional delegation they're not enough to really make major waves unless they build relationships in tenure so when we send someone new what we want them to do is to keep their head down support you know the the democratic platform and get money and support sent to Hawaii. That's all we're really looking for. That's that's my opinion. Yeah. Now, the other voters, they want to see major changes, healthcare for all, you know, housing programs and all these things. But, you know, when you send someone new there, that person has little impact within the Democratic caucus. And especially unlike, if they're still in the minority. Right. And that's the difference is right here in Hawaii, the Democratic caucus is the majority. However, you know, at in, on the congressional level, um, they're the minority party. So, you know, ha- being able to be in the minority party and to be able to make these like crazy changes, especially when we're not flipping seats. That's yeah. another thing people forget is although we have this spectrum of conservative to um, to progressive in the Democratic Party, you know, a lot of the wars that are being fought in the election levels are being done to flip red seats to blue seats and blue seats to red seats. Hawaii is a firmly safe blue seat. So there's no reason for a lot of mainland Democratic, you know, DNC involvement in the races because there's no there's no risk to lose the seat and there's no risk or uh, investment to gain a seat. So we'd be remiss if we didn't ask in our final moments Mm -hmm. about OHA. Yes. So uh, you were the campaign manager for, as you said, Makana Paris, mm-hmm. friend of the show, dear friend of the show. Um, and you guys came up just short. Mm-hmm. Uh, what happened? And, sure. and what are your thoughts? I mean, yeah. So my first thoughts is of all of the things that happened this election cycle, I think the Office of Foreign Affairs election was the most disappointing thing. Second was low voter turnout. Um, and I think- But they were tied, I mean, they tied agreed. to each other. I think they are very um, tied together. So um, the Office of Hawaiian Affairs, there was three at-large seats, which means the entire state could vote. And one Oahu seat, one Maui seat. The Maui seat only had two candidates, so they they both advanced to the general election. For the at-large seat, there was three seats open, so the top six finishers would go move on to the general election unless a candidate um, received more than 50%, 50 percent 50 plus one um and then they would have won the seat outright and McKenna um, finished and McKenna finished seventh out of 15 so he oh. just missed that Oof. that number six spot there was quite a gap um in votes so it's not like he was you know 10 50 100 it was more like a few thousand behind um and i think the office of Hawaiian affairs is definitely has a problem Coming into the election, there was a lot of talk. And now this is where, again, I have to, you know, premise that we don't know whether that was just what we were seeing on social media and in the community. So um, we don't really know if that was the the wide reflection of the entire state, but we wanted change at the Office of Online Affairs. There were some audits that showed that it wasn't operating to what we thought was, you know, accountable to the the beneficiaries. And so, you know, our whole goal in running our campaign, but as well as what we felt was the sentiment of the community was we needed to um, move on from the current um, board and and put in some new some new faces. Um, Unfortunately, the top three vote getters um, in this race were the top three incumbents. So, recognition. so we, you know, just like any other, you know, statewide race or, or the bigger races is name recognition is still kind of key, mm-hmm. um, which is unfortunate because I think a lot of that name recognition didn't really carry goodwill, unfortunately. So 
Um, That's why 49% of ballots were blank, right? Yep, 49%. But I, I want to caution that. So, so um, I, I have a perspective on that. Yeah. And, and I've talked with Josh about this, about why so many people didn't vote for mm-hmm. OHA. And I think there's several problems. I think, one, the Office of Elections has completely um, just forsaken its authority to inform people about who's actually running for office. Mm-hmm. We don't send out any sort of like mailer saying, hey, here's Candidate the people guides. running. Yep. Here's what they support. That's a big one. Yeah, I think Scott Nago, who is his reign has been problematic. He has so many... He's botched it so many times. I think he said something to the effect of, we don't send out candidate information because that's tantamount to us endorsing a candidate. And, which we, is, which he, is and he right. also says, we don't send it out and we don't have any plans to, which right. is like, okay, this is not good. That's one. I think the other thing, the second one is that people don't really know what OHA does. Mm-hmm. And the third one is sort of this intertwining of like, there's a lot of things in Hawaii that are implicitly or explicitly like for Hawaiians. Um, and I don't think that the broader electorate has an idea all the time of like where those boundaries are. Like I heard a lot of people who said, I'm not going to vote for OHA because I'm not Hawaiian. Mm-hmm. And I think there are a lot of things, again, explicitly or implicitly, that you feel a cultural pressure to do or not do when you are or are not Hawaiian in Hawaii. And I think that's like part of that is sort of uh, after a hundred years of like decimation of culture, people sort of reclaiming different spaces within the culture. Uh, and that comes from the Hawaiian side. But then the other side is that the average voter does not educate themselves on who is available to be voted for. And so you have those two things, I think, that sort of like, well, I don't know if I'm supposed to, and I don't know who's there, and I don't actually know what OHA does, so I'm just going to leave it blank. And yep. I have a lot of people in my life that I know did that, except for most of them, I did make them vote for Makana. But... Mm-hmm. I hear that it's a general sentiment all yeah. the time. So the, the I think the, the last point is pretty key is that there's almost this, you know, notion, I think because legally there used to be the notion that only Hawaiians could vote in OHA elections. Which is probably there was, the best. Right. And there was some litigation that overturned that um, decision so that the entire state could vote. Rice v. Cayetano. Right. And so what happened was people, even people from that generation still believe that they should not have a say in who... Um, if you're non-Hawaiian, you shouldn't vote in OHA. Mm-hmm. Even when um, Hawaiian allies have told them, hey, in, in order for you to be supportive of you know, the Office of Hawaiian Affairs and you know, the betterment of Native Hawaiians, we want you to vote, but we want you to be educated on who you vote for, just like mm-hmm. any other candidate. And um, whether or not they take that to heart or not, we've seen that it's usually not the case. And unfortunately, even certain Hawaiians that you know, aren't, don't think there's enough at stake in the Office of Hawaiian Affairs. You know, we we hear people, they vote on the ballot. Oh, the first three names, I'm going to vote for those three people. I don't know. I vote for them. Oh, I'm voting for the most Hawaiian last name or the most interesting name on the ballot. And we had a, a friend of ours um, from law school tell us that that's what she used to do. She's like, oh, I, I picked the most Hawaiian name because... Well, if I'm going to vote for a Hawaiian, I want them to be a real Hawaiian or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think at the end of the day, um, you know, we have to improve voter turnout. And and I don't know if there is an easy path to, you know, correcting this, you know, low voter turnout or um, letting uh, incumbents with name recognition win despite horrible, horrible, you know, press and policies that, you know, and, and I think. It starts and ends. At, it I mean, it ends at the it starts and ends at the office of elections. Yeah. Like until we get that guy out, 
who has this mm-hmm. opinion that the Office of Elections only responsibility is to do basically nothing mm-hmm. all the time and then do a little bit less of nothing during election season, like it's going to be like that. Like there has to be massive right. concerted action to right. tell people this is important that you do this mm-hmm. and to not only spur them to do it, but to maybe incentivize them to do it somehow. Right. I actually had seen some things about that, but um, I think there is also a problem that, um, you know, they, I even heard the narrative that like, oh, why aren't the candidates doing more things? I was like, for the first time that I remember, there's multiple televised events with the candidates. And this is where I think the turning point was the incumbents weren't there. So we're talking about candidates that were on television, multiple things. We got the same, you know, star advertiser and um, White News Now coverages. I mean, maybe not White News Now, but star advertiser, like Q&A questionnaires that got published on the candidates. And I know the candidates were out there, except for the incumbents. I know a lot of the candidates were out there. Um, That might have played into it. You know, a 15-person primary for three seats is still five people per seat. And that's that's hard. That's a very tough race. So, you know, if the whole narrative was, hey, we want to make sure that the incumbents have not been accountable. Let's let's vote in someone new. When you have that many candidates that throw their name in the hat, you know, they take a lot of votes away from building a momentum for three candidates to replace three incumbents. Yeah. Well um, so I think, you know, we can't just oversimplify that um, the office of elections, which I do think is a big problem in all races. Um, and especially OHA would be very helpful, I think. Um, getting Hawaii News Now or other, you know, big time television, um, you know, networks to do a little bit more coverage because there was some really interesting things about um, a lot of these candidates running for the Office of Hawaiian Affairs. And I don't want to plug Makano Paris because, you know, the race is already over, but he was the first candidate to ever be endorsed by um, Unite Here Local 5. You know, that's Shout out to them. Shout out great. to Paula. I think he you was know? the first, one of the first candidates to ever be endorsed for the OHA race by the Sierra Club. I think so too. And we reached out to other um, um, unions that said, um, it's just within our executive committee. We don't. So we reached out to like um, the Hawaii State Teachers Association and we're like, oh, have you guys ever endorsed the OHAN candidate? And you're like, you know what? You guys were the first um, candidate committee to actually reach out and ask. They're like, unfortunately, you know, at this time, we don't have that capacity because we're focused on this, this, and this. But, um, you know, I think in the future, it might be a possibility. So, That's good. you know, unfortunately, you start somewhere. right. And I think, you know, there is momentum to, you know, keep plugging away at, at um, these systems. But um, I think it just comes down to, you know, the, the things that are haunting of every large campaign. It's money and it's it's name recognition. So I think that's a good way to adjust um, spending going forward. If you're a candidate, you know, who's running in, you know, the office of Hawaiian Affairs. Um, unfortunately, I think you have to run it in a more traditional sense. You know, on the ground grassroots campaign and sign waving works well if you live within a district where the sign waving is going to be, you know, at a place where all the constituents are going to drive past. But you know, unless you have a large team, money and stuff. And it's unfortunate because the Office of Hawaiian Affairs um, doesn't really have the financial support of, um, you know, the unions, the um, constituents like a governor race would. But the the people that vote is the exact same people, the entire state of Hawaii. So I think there might be something that could be done with that, whether it's term limits to limit um, like long term incumbents getting too much name recognition. I think um, reversing the trend of at large to um island seats might be a way to do Mm. that you know you have you know people that may never see that candidate or a sign or anything but have the option to vote for them and you know that's not very good for democracy i think um so 
maybe switching it to more island-based seats. And I'm okay with them increasing other islands, but I think the at-large seats are um, are almost always going to be won by Oahu-dominant Oahu candidates. Because just in this race for at-large, there's two people from Hawaii Island that were running, and the other 13 candidates live on Oahu. So... Well, Alan, you've certainly put together a much more uh, unemotional and uh, objective response than what I saw you post on election night. <laughs> right. Yeah. It seems like things have cooled off a little bit, mm-hmm. um, although I can still tell there's some fire there. Yeah. Uh, would you mind sticking around for a quick shout out segment? Sure. I'll stick around. Thanks. Ladies and gentlemen, the man, the myth, the legend. Tough gong. Alan Akau. Thank you. Thank Blue you for Hawaii podcast. Me. Blue Hawaii. Blue Hawaii. Shout outs. Shout out time. Uh, let's do a couple of shout outs real quick uh, i want to shout out first and foremost the auburn football tigers Ooh. who are uh, deep in the throes of fall camp uh we are just two weeks away from losing their, alabama well sorry two weeks and one day away from uh their opening game against the hated huskies of the university of washington uh which will be played at the mercedes-benz dome war eagle any other shout outs I want to shout out the Alabama Crimson Tide going for their tide. <laughs> going for their uh, national championship repeat. Looks like Tua Tonga Vailoa will probably be the starting QB. Name the uh, what's who's the offensive coordinator over there? Uh, Lane Kiffin. That's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and I think uh, Tua Tonga Vailoa Jr. <laughs> Tua Tonga Vailoa is also, I yeah. think, the front runner for the Heisman Trophy. Yeah, you know, despite Bro, never starting this a is single only game, playing one half of football, Dude. but he did play a pretty okay half of football. Yeah. He like really okay. Realistically, if we're talking about his play, he played so so on a on a like macro level. He was just okay. I mean, yeah, but he didn't. He throw, made like, plays when it counted, and he's yeah. a freshman, mm-hmm. and yeah. it was a friggin' national. Like kid is kid was fire. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. All right. Uh, shout out again. I mean, if we're gonna shout them out, we're gonna shout out you know Nick Rolovich, the uh, the patriarch of the Rainbow Warriors. Just kidding. Rainbows a football program. Uh, go Bows. Yolo Rolo. Yolo Rolo. Anybody else? Restaurants? Shout out to all the candidates in the race who ran their campaigns with a lot of grace and dignity. Yeah. Uh, It was a very contentious primary season. Um, but most of the time people, you know, stayed out of the mud Mm -hmm. and, uh, and they ran good races and, uh, shout out to, even though I disagree with him on a lot of things, Mr. Kaniela Ng, uh, and Miss Beth Fukumoto for being the two leading millennial candidates in Hawaii Mm -hmm. who did a relatively admirable job, all things considered of representing our state. We're, we're the, like, it's all going to fall to us eventually. We're we're the future. We're inheriting a completely screwed up world, Mm -hmm. but I think. We're going to be okay. We'll be okay. Yeah, we'll be yeah. fine. We'll make it work. Alan. Yes. Do you have a restaurant recommendation? Because you, you were here before and you didn't do one. I know. I didn't do one last time. Um, I want to shout out Local Boy Sushi over in Kanyoe. It's in the um, same parking um, structure as Pake's, I think, 808 Tattoo, um, right next to the post office. Get you some sushi. Mm. Um, so do your they mail, do. Get a tattoo. Everything you need. One yep. stop shop. One stop shop. Hawaii. They have a takeout counter. They also do catering. What do you like um, to get? I usually get um, the Local Boy Bowl. So it's usually a three 
um, choice bowl, I get the Kalbi Kalua pig and the spicy ahi. Sounds dope. And they also, the rice they use um, is like a Japanese style brown rice, but it tastes amazing. Um, and they use it in all their bowls and all their rolls. So something bowls different. And rolls. Shout out to Local Boy Sushi, um, the Fantastical Brothers. Um, yep, that's my restaurant. Shout didn't, out. Uh, didn't you have them cater something one time that we all went to? Like- I did. So I had them, I go to them for catering. They do more than sushi, despite that being in the name. Um, I just remember the food was amazing. We had them do a live sushi um, um, catering at um, one of our law school parties. They did some catering at um, our Makana Paris event fundraiser. Um, so if you guys, they can do large events too. They've done weddings. Um, they've done like corporate conventions, all kinds of good stuff. They're over there in Kanyoe. Go check them out. Um, and yeah, that's my shout out. Right, I want to give a shout out to Opa Greek Marina at the Cocoa Head Shopping Center. It's been a lot. We haven't done a restaurant shout out in a long time. So I've been saving this one since uh, my mom's birthday. Belated, happy belated birthday to you, mom. Happy birthday, happy Auntie, birthday Caroline. Auntie Caroline. Uh, Auntie mom. Shout out to you. Uh, and everybody knows like... Greek food is amazing. I won't go too much into the menu. I'm just going to say, you know the food at, at the Greek marina is legit. Because as we were leaving, a Greek Orthodox priest in full wardrobe and hat was kissing the owner on the cheeks. Hello. Guarantee they yep. paid that guy to do that. No. There's no way. No, That's just like too perfect. No, it's legit. Mm. Like that's authentic. That's Boom. sick. That's the seal of approval no, right that's, there. That's yep. where you want to go. Yeah, go check it out. Yeah. Uh, my restaurant shout out this week. This one's going to come as a little bit of a surprise to you guys. But I'm going to shout out a restaurant called basalt waikiki and so here's why bath salts waikiki (laughs) bath salts waikiki get high and eat somebody's face no basalt uh b-a-s-a-l-t um the drinks there are amazing so i went there uh to meet a friend recently and the bartender did a fantastic job her name is Brittany. she she specializes in mezcal drinks and so it's like this like smoky tequila freaking amazing they have a happy hour though this is this is the the pro tip I think happy hours from four to six, either four to six or five to six. Either way, it ends at six. Uh, go there and like all the food is marked down like nearly 50% and drinks are marked down too. You can get out of there for like regular prices. Like a hamburger is like 11 bucks. Drinks are like, you know, maybe five to $10, like really reasonable stuff. And big one, you park at the Hyatt Centric. They validate your parking for four hours. That's plenty of time hours. for a happy That's hour. Plenty of time. Well, and then happy hours. Well, the, yeah. the thing about Waikiki is like it number sucks. one, it is very touristy. But there's like a couple of things that people like going to down there. And the big problem is it takes like sixty dollars to park. The other pro tip is just catch a lift if you ever have to go to Waikiki. Catch a lift because uh-huh. I'm just saying if you wanted Waikiki to, terrible. if you wanted to like go down there, it was super easy to get to actually. Like okay. you just go down Seaside, take Royal Hawaiian straight, take a left uh, into the parking deck for Hyatt Centric. Alan. Any last words of wisdom? Anything else you'd like to share with our audience? Any- uh, sure. I just want to, again, um, I know Ryan shouted them out already. All the candidates that ran in this election. Um, everybody that's listening, the primary election is over, but the general election is still Don't let Andrew up. Tupola become governor. So don't forget, there's still votes to be cast, um, especially in all the races, Office of Hawaiian Affairs, yep. governor. And, and so... Please, for the know, love of God, people, do your research. Yeah, so we still have, we still have things at stake here. So um, remember to vote. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that's Alan Akau. This is the Blue Hawaii Tough Podcast. Gong, 967 Tree 4. Tree 4. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you. Blue Hawaii. Blue Hawaii. Blue Hawaii. Blue Hawaii. Blue Hawaii.